everybody uh, sees life differently from someone else. Some of them look upon the uh, look upon the meat industry in their days at Angus, some of the happy times of their lives. So I think because of the lighter things that did, you know, that happened there, not of the brutalizing effect of this repetitious work, but uh, they remember some of the concerts that Jack Cashmore used to organize, and perhaps things like that, some of the meetings perhaps where some of the old characters would perform. Yeah, those are the things that they remember. That recording is from 3CR and the Living Museum of the West series, The Lifeblood of Footscray. You'll hear more interviews conducted for this series throughout. I should probably explain what the Meatworks was, and these old bluestone buildings' connection to it. These buildings were an example of one of the largest mid to late 19th century industrial complexes serving in Victoria, and one of only a handful of large bluestone factories. The ones you see are only a handful of surviving buildings from this area. There was once more than 20 buildings used by the Boiling Down and Preservation Companies. Imagine that for a second. This very place you are standing, filled with more than 20 buildings like these. Hundreds of workers with countless roles. A stable for Tommy the horse, and tramways connecting the various departments to wharves along the river, exporting these animal products all across the globe. Success of these meatworks led to the Anglis meatworks further down the road, with William Anglis financing 30 houses in the immediate area, letting them to permanent employees. The sheer size of everything meant these factories had a felt impact by those living in Footscray at the time. To give a quick history of development, it all started with boiling down works from 1830, which were expanded and repurposed to become the Melbourne Meat Preservation Company. Operations included slaughterhouses for sheep and cattle, aforementioned boiling down works, tanneries and glue works. The MMPC was the largest and most successful of the meat preserving and canning works in Victoria, and the first commercial meat export factory in Australia. This was the golden age for preserving meat in Australia, and this very site was a key contributor, even despite a fire in 1873 threatening to destroy the whole factory. William Anglis took control of things when Anglis Meatworks officially opened in 1905. It became a major enterprise running until the 1970s. By 1930, it was already one of the largest meatworks in the Southern Hemisphere. Every possible thing you could do to meat was done here. Vesties, a global meat production and export company, took hold of production in 1934, but William Anglis remained on the board of directors. The Anglis Meatworks represented a change in industrial meatworks for the nation. Like most industries at the time, Anglis was heavily segregated in regards to gender. But during the period of the Second World War, a shortage in labour led to increase in women employed in the meatworks, with many staying after the war ended. This meant certain workforces were filled with both men and women, leading to equal pay disputes as women were paid half as much for the same work. Despite the pay gap, this led to large social changes, as migrant women and married women continued to work in the factories. One such woman, Joan Simpson, recounts her time at Anglis for the lifeblood of Footscray. Well, at the time I came here, everybody was working. You see, it was a shortage of labour, and I think practically all the staff down in the factory was, the majority was married women. There was a few up and off, but it was just a way of life at that time. See, when I had June, I had no intention of ever going back to work. And when I come here, I wasn't going, because my husband didn't, he never really approved of me going out working. But then the position was I had to do something to fill in my time, and that's how I started. Plus, we wanted the money, because we were struggling at the time, so it all worked out pretty good. You could also argue the meatworks were synonymous with union activism, as the meat industry's union held a strong socialist stance, including a strike from 1933 to 1934, following the introduction of the hook slaughtering system, taking power away from slaughtermen that controlled the means of production in the factory prior to this. 
Another point of contention was health and safety for workers. In the previous century, a royal commission in noxious trades found nauseating smells from open air piles of bones and entrails. They described the MMPC as hideous bluestone structures, reeking blood, filth, afoul, and every abomination. It took until after World War II for the Union to finally dispute these conditions and get them improved, with pneumonia being a common symptom as workers came in contact with the blast freezer, tanners worked with dangerous acids, and particularly, poor first aid treatment for cuts. Ultimately, by the 60s, the Union had control of day-to-day -day operations at the factory, continuously pushing for fairer pay and work conditions. This along with a nationwide decay in the industry in the 70s led Vesties to cut their losses and seize operations altogether. So to some, these buildings symbolise multi-generational stories of conflict between a forging Australian industry and the needs of people doing this work. But as we heard from Sea Life earlier, people look back on the meatworks fondly. It was an unavoidable part of the community and had a community in its own right. Buildings were reused by the Humes Pipe Factory, another booming industry along the river. We'll get into this later. It is believed that other buildings may still be buried below the tones of fill dumped on the river flats. I should also mention through both the Melbourne Meat Preserving Company and Anglis Meatworks errors, the river served as a drain for wastes, with factors such as blood poisoning undoubtedly leaving a great ecological impact. But the river is still there, and life still survives. Now we shall head to the wharf, follow the path. Rivers and creeks are now important parts of our lives. Whether we cycle or walk alongside them, use the water or row or fish in them, we love our local waterways. 